Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome to The Black Codes. This is one of your co-hosts, Savannah Bryant. And I'm sitting, well, not across from, I guess I'm looking at via the computer, our other co-host, Donald D-Nasty. How you doing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on? You're, you're kind of low. Can you speak up a little bit? Well, I was just saying, what's going on? What's going on? It's, well, uh, cool. it's the first snow in Baltimore, so I'm looking out my window, and it's actually started, it's like starting to stick, and there's um, a few trees in front of my apartment, so it looks really pretty. I can't wait to take a picture of it. Yeah, it's snowing um, pretty good here. Like, I'm looking out through my curtains, and it, there's snow on the ground. Like, it's been snowing since maybe, like, nine. I went out, I had to go mail some stuff, and I'm like walking through the snow like, oh, I haven't felt this in a long time. Like, I'm almost busted my behind walking up and down the hill. <laughs> oh, I can see that. I could see that too. Cause you live, you don't live in the cut, but you are kind of tucked in a little uphill. Yeah. So. yeah, I live on this hill. Like, my street's flat, but all the streets that run up to my street, it's just straight up. And then they just found this yeah. little flat part, like, all right, we're going to make a street here. Then it goes straight up. Like, uh, yeah that's that's funny um it hasn't I think it snowed like once in Baltimore last winter and I don't think it's stuck um so I'm cool with having snow for a few days but honestly after Christmas I'm good um I feel a little guilty about that though because the likelihood of that happening is high because of global warming so I have a lot of mixed feelings <laughs> about it yeah the global warming effects are like living in the north it's like oh it's cool but then you're like damn there's a reason for that <laughs> and that reason makes you then kind of like ah, should I really be happy about this but it's like yeah. I am happy about this but I shouldn't be yeah like growing up when I was little it we would have like six inches of snow by Thanksgiving and it was like that until March so I, I think I started to notice a drastic change in that when we went to, when we were in Slippery Rock. I remember that one summer, it barely even got cold. Or the one winter, I think it was our sophomore year. It was barely cold at all. Like the winter didn't come. I think the next winter though was pretty bad. Um, but yes, kind of seeing winters where it doesn't get super, super cold and granted, Baltimore isn't in the mountains like Western Pennsylvania. It's, it doesn't get as cold. It doesn't have as much snow, but it still gets snow. It still does get cold. So we'll see. We'll see what happens this winter. We're probably going to be indoors for most of it anyway. Yeah, I'm hoping the winter just kind of feels like it's going to breeze on past. Like we're shut down up here in Pittsburgh. So I'm like, I don't have to leave very much, you know, so I get to look at the snow. They get some of my groceries shipped to me, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, even though my recent shipment was kind of lean, but that's another story. But uh, yeah, so I I really hope this doesn't go on very long because what I don't like is when winter happens in March and April. That pisses me off because <laughs> like it's track season and this happens every year, but it's I still hate it every year when it's still winter in March and April. Like, can you stop in February? Yeah. I feel the same because at that point it's like all right girl you, we're done <laughs> we have moved on please read the room take a hint it's time for you to <laughs> sit down we'll see you in December <laughs> right right so um hey while we're while we're at this we want to make sure that for you listening we want to remind you at the beginning of this show that we want you to like this show subscribe to the show follow the show Yes. and share the show with a friend and you know we this is like episode 15 or 16 so if you've been listening up to this point uh, whether you're listening to this in December when we drop or they're just catching up to this sometime in March when it's still snowing or <laughs> in August you know of 2021 still drop us a line like let us know what you think what we should talk about um, you can find us on Instagram at Black Codes Podcast you can email us, the Black Codes Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, the Black Codes 2. I have a question, actually. Should we change the 2 to podcast? 
I don't know why. I, that's, I did too, but I don't know yeah. why. I was going to ask why you even did that. <laughs> and I just honestly have never changed it. So if it's out, I can check to see if it's available and change it to that. I put that in my clubhouse by and I'm looking at it like, why does it just say two? And like, I had to log into the Twitter very often. So I was on the Twitter last night, like, oh, I'm logged in. Like, let me see. I just see you tweeting away. I'm like, mm -hmm. why is it two here? <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll sort that out. Um, so for now, as of December sixteenth, we're the Black Coats Two on 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 Twitter, but that might change the Black Coats podcast. It'll be linked in both of our bios, regardless. So follow us, and you'll find it. Um. So real quick, in the last episode, while everyone's probably forgotten about this, this has been weighing on me. I made a blunder. I was um, talking about, we were talking about education and levels of education and things you learn. And I was talking about something from grad school. And now you're going to be like, well, what the hell are you talking about? But I may, I, I said something like, oh, I knew this thing. And then like, I proceeded to not really know the thing. So I had to go relook it up. Mm -hmm. So one line, PGC1 alpha, I said, it's this gene or it's this uh, hormone or whatever. It's a protein that is, regulates gene expression. and um, you're like, okay, what does that even have to do with? I coach when it comes to you, if you are a runner or if you play a sports, if you like to work out, you know that endurance matters. And if you remember from biology class, you have these little mitochondria that are like your little engines of your cell. Oh, this, the mitochondria, they're so cute. <laughs> yes, yes. So PGC1-alpha regulates the gene that causes you to make more of those. And when you do endurance training, your body makes more of those little mitochondria for your muscles. Um, mm -hmm. So this just regulates that. But when we're talking about the education episode, you have to, there's a foundation you have to build up to be able to learn something like that. Because if you don't train and you don't care about exercise physiology, me telling you that, you're like, what am I going to do with that? But mm -hmm. for someone who has now that foundation of learning that, you're going to be able to take something away with that. Like, oh, okay, this is how that happens when you train. And this is what I do with that word yeah i saw that you put that in there i do think that like you know sometimes especially when we randomly bring things up sometimes the full truth slips our mind so it might not be a bad idea if we catch it on the listen back to on the next episode correct ourselves there was an episode we did when i talked about george bush senior being president for two terms and then i looked it up and was like oh that nigga was only president for one one term my bad y'all i liked you <laughs> and then i never like brought it up to correct myself and i think that if we can catch when we maybe said something that wasn't factual we should re-highlight that um and i never made like one of those volcanoes in science class but i we did have to make a cell and i remember i just i remember making like a little mitochondria with i forget what i used but <laughs> it was my favorite science experiments really yeah oh man i love like little cell things i think that's um that's real dope hey i want to drop this line in here i don't want to make this it's crazy how we've politicized healthcare in the United States. So, um, you know, right now people are getting those first round of coronavirus uh, vaccines. And I want to make one little line here for y'all. You know, I'm not going to encourage you to not take it, but people, there are some people out here. I didn't hear anything you said. You went out. Oh, you just said sorry. first round of coronavirus vaccines. So, so as you all know, the first round of coronavirus vaccines are coming out in the U.S. as, as of December 16th. And, you know, people have a variety of reasons for not wanting to take it. But there's one particular reason that people have come out with that I need to say that is a bad reason to not take it. You know, whether you, I'm not telling you that it's a bad idea to be skeptical or worried, but there's one reason that's bad. And it's because people are like, hey, it's going to get encoded into my DNA, right? <laughs> So the coronavirus vaccine is an RNA, the coronavirus is an RNA virus, and a lot of viruses are that. RNA is part of how your body makes the DNA, the instructions on your DNA make things happen. So RNA makes the proteins that make the enzymes that make functions happen. Mm -hmm. Viruses use their RNA to hijack your cells, which is how they reproduce in your body. 
when you have an RNA vaccine, it basically puts that dead RNA in there and then it causes your body to have the immune response. But when, when, you, when people are like, it's gonna get encoded into our DNA. First of all, what does that even mean for you if that does happen? Second of all, actually your DNA has viruses that are generations and dozens and hundreds of generations old encoded on there. And so when people get viruses, especially like if you get the first ever type of virus that comes out, like the first person that got yellow fever, that gets coded into your DNA because your body had an immune response. And in order for your offspring to be able to have a better chance of fighting that, your body automatically actually encodes that to your DNA. Yeah, I think that a lot of people really just don't know how vaccinations work. And that's one of the biggest issues. The, the people not wanting to take it because they think it's being rushed. I, under, I understand that people not wanting to be the first round because you don't know the long term effects. I get those arguments, but people that just don't understand like, oh, well, you're going to get sick. Every time I get a flu shot, I get sick. Well, the vaccines are different strains of the flu. So if that strain has never entered your body, your body is going to do the work to fight it off. So if you get that flu in the wild, your body is better prepared. That's the whole point of vaccines. Yes, you are Um, literally going to get sick. Like when you get a vaccine, your body is, the purpose of it is to have an immune response. Exactly. Like if you don't have an immune response, you've got a question if it even works. Yeah, um, the purpose is a vaccine is like a controlled amount. So your body, it won't be as abrupt and as harsh. And so if you do get this, like I said, in the wild, your body will just be better prepared. Maybe, you know, my mom is an NP um, and she was, she explained the body to us. I also generally like biology and I remember watching Osmosis Jones and there's just some stuff. (laughs) That stuck with me. Rewatch that movie. I've been talking about infections. It's a, a who plays Osmosis Jones? Chris Rock. Oh, forget. Or, I think so. Something so like that. Them, I don't remember. One of them voices it. It's an older movie. Bill Murray is like the body that they're housed in. Um, I recommend it. It's easy. You can learn some shit and digest it. Uh, speaking of that, let's just transition out of this <laughs> Corona shit for a moment. Um, so two episodes ago, you started to talk about loans and Black people and how this country has just kind of been set up to not really give us an equal footing. You know, we were doing this whole section on equity. Um, last episode, the last episode we dropped was on education. So give us a quick recap on the first episode and then let's transition into the second part. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, the beginning of economic discrimination. And so that episode, if you guys um, remember, if you listen to it, it's called The Color of Money. So this is the part two of that episode. And we looked at how America has set Black people up to not own things and create this uh, parody, when you think about the wealth gap, that has existed from the beginning and has not really gotten better because of discrimination and culture. And it's really only in this decade where it's mainstream coming to the forefront. And to be real honest, 2020, for as crazy as a year as it has been, has been a big catalyst for mainstream even recognizing this kind of for the first time. Um, Even before we were chatting, uh, before we started, you mentioned like people are just finding out that like, John Hopkins and other universities had slaves. And it's like, you should assume that first. So speaking of that, we go back, I wanna bring you through this timeline because we're actually gonna start in the 20th century here for this episode. So slavery era, right? What does it mean to be enslaved? It is means that you, like if you were enslaved listener, you're now the property of somebody else. Property doesn't own property. So from the jump, you have, land owning, asset owning, uh, slave owners uh, of various, you know, levels of stature, people who own a couple of slaves, people who own hundreds of slaves. And so those slaves don't own anything. They are the production. They create the value. And so that lasts from 1619 up until, um, you know, a, couple, a few generations ago in 1865. And so then you get in that time, the Reconstruction Era. And during Reconstruction, there were attempts to try to make Black people whole. 
that was probably the closest to reparations that black people ever got for being enslaved. Because remember, they did the labor. I was listening to this podcast on my favorite shows, the Secret Six Success podcast with Eric Thomas, or I think it was actually a video. And, you know, people sometimes think about slavery, especially some of these school systems, they try to water it down. And it's like, it's not like these people were getting up at nine. They had a little nine to five to pick cotton. Like these niggas was getting woken up before the sun came up to go out and do this work. And they were out till the sun went down and beyond. So just want to keep that in mind when you think about reparations and what happened in Reconstruction to try to make them whole. You had a bunch of people working 12 to 16 hour days, forcibly unpaid for generations. And they wanted land. Land ownership is a very important part of wealth creation and asset uh, management and and being able to move. And so during Reconstruction, there were moves to get uh, Black people land. There were a whole 40 acres and a mule piece that came from there to reallocate, you know, 400 million acres to give black people for 40 acres. And the Southern Democrats shut a lot of these things down in regards to trying to make them whole. And you get in this time going into the 19th century, this rise of merchants, because after the Civil War, the Southern banking system collapsed. And you can go back and listen to that episode and and hear about just how bad that was. But I mean, we're talking decimation of like 80% of the banks. And, and so you're- you mentioned they weren't insured at this point. So the, the shit was gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things were destroyed and the money left. And so after the uh, end of reconstruction, when the Southern Democrats, uh, when the union kind of folded mm-hmm. uh, in the, to the pressure really, you have, these merchants, you have sharecropping. And so I want to quickly tell you what sharecropping is because that sets the tone for what happens after that. You have now the plantation owners, quote unquote, a landlord. And you have people who rent the farmland and they bring their own equipment and they can sell food themselves, which is the uh, a smaller, more white people that do that. And then there are only a few black people that really can get into that game. Most of them sharecrop. And what happens is you grow for your season and then during your harvest, the plantation owner takes your crops to go sell. And your rent is based off of how many, however many um, products of food that you agree to sell, right? And that leaves a lot of these slaves um, exposed to getting ripped off. If you grow, I don't know, 50 bushels of corn and your share that you needed to pay for your land was 25, he could go sell your 50 and say, oh, you know what? It was only like 35. So you're only going to get 10. And people died over those disputes because slaves kept their own books. Yeah. And like we mentioned in the education episode, if you can't read and if you can't write, you don't know what you're agreeing to. They can take, they could put down whatever, have you sign your name or, or, you know, just kind of confirming that, yes, I agree upon this. And they can take that. If you want to dispute it, if they don't just shoot you, you told a story about someone just dying. I I don't know if they got shot or if they lynched him. I don't remember. Um, But you take it to the the sheriff or whatever, and then you think they're going to argue with this white person about uh, this, this amount that you said that you actually agreed upon. It's not happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and with so yet violence, you always had the threat of yeah. violence, even when you're getting ripped off and being done wrong. And even by, you know, white plantation owners who would do their neighbor perfectly, they would do a complete white stranger, the best of justice, but somebody who's been living on their land for generations will rip them off in a heartbeat. Yeah. So um, kind of leaving from there, we, you know, there's the whole lean aspects, the merchant charging as low as 25% you know, interest on, on these things. And you have the slaves, or I'm sorry, the sharecroppers have to borrow to even use their farm equipment. So they're not able to maneuver because now the merchant stores who they're getting their farming equipment from are placing liens on their crops. Yeah, they're say, in the Look, years before they even get started. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's just, like student debt, but like way worse. <laughs> they're, and they're just continuously trying to climb out to get above the red and they they put so many things in place to almost make it never happen and if you could break even then it's kind of like well you broke even you know but no no they no one cares yeah and you can't 
create wealth for your family if you're only breaking even. Yeah. And breaking even was almost an exception during that time. So this went from the 1870s through the early uh, 20th century, in the 1900s and 1910s, um, you know, people trying to get housing. Again, you can't own a house, you can't own land if you're not able to create wealth and they're not able to create wealth in sharecropping. Um, any land that they did get uh, was, this was very interesting to research. Any, most black people who owned any land going into the 1900s, the plantation owner ceded them that land. They said, you, you can buy this for me for this amount. They weren't just going on the market buying land, like how you can go out right now and get a realtor to show you a house. They couldn't do that. And they only had to find those really Negro friendly, quote unquote, um, plantation owners who would be willing to do that because it was unpopular for white people to sell black people land in the first place, even if the black people had more than enough money, which some of them actually did. Right. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there, there is a spectrum. We, <laughs> there are people that are going to maybe be businessmen first and think, I'll sell them the land. I can collect some money for this. Maybe they're over being the South and they want to go somewhere or they're just like, they can work this bit of land. We can't make them work for free. And I do maybe have, while I might not agree, like I might think they're below me, I'm going to follow the law. Like there are some people that are like that. It's so weird. Like more, if it's illegal, it's illegal, whether it's moral or ethical, you know, it's mm -hmm. like they just, they follow the law. That's what rules them, not necessarily their ethics or their ethics are guided by the law, which is a, a whole nother thing, but. The personality um, trait. <laughs> yeah, it is. It very much is. I struggle with that sometimes. Like I follow rules, but to an extent, I really don't like being mandated things. That really gets under my skin. <laughs> But uh, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you get people who are prejudiced. Like they don't think you're as valuable as they are, but they also still have another sense of ethics of, well, you are able to do this and I don't need to hold you back from it. I can actually help you and still think I'm better than you. Right. And so you run in, you actually run into this a lot in America where, you know, these white people will help you out, but it's because they think they're better than you. So that actually makes them want to help you out. Yeah. And then you, you run into issues where if you start in their head, if you start inching up too close to them, then they have an issue. It's like, oh, they can help you, but to an extent. And then once you get too close for that to them, or once you maybe step out of what they believe to be a line, uh, then it's a whole different situation. <laughs> I know I, we talked about that story on an early episode about the boy that I went to high school with that called the security guard a nigger. He has some of his, out of his mouth, his best friends are black and they are yet black best men in his, in his uh, wedding. And it was just one of those situations for him. He called him a nigger because it was this black man telling him what to do. It's like, who do you think you are? At the mm. end of the day, you're a nigger like I don't know who he thinks he is so yeah that's that's a whole that's a whole thing but um cool so yeah the sharecropping stuff happens and then we move into the 1900s and we're living in Jim Crow because reconstruction ends and um Plessy versus Ferguson gets Pass so separate but equal becomes legal, and we kind of move into a new space. America really opens like the first half of the 20th century um, with the Great Migration. So, do you want to talk a bit about that? So, for a variety of reasons, you know, there was a huge migration of Black people moving north. You know, there was this Mexican bull weevil that was ruining crops at the time. There was, you know, the just poverty stricken way of life of sharecropping that was just not going to get anybody anywhere. Um, and then there was the whole, you know, threat of violence of racism of being in the South, whereas if you go to the North, um, racism is different. It's actually maybe more, but it's different. So at least you won't, at least you might not, you know, get lynched when <laughs> just walking down the street in um, Illinois. So 
during that time in the 1900s, between the 1900s and 1940s, um, millions of Black people moved north. And when I say millions, I mean that in the, during that time, six million Black people moved up north in those few decades. Um, that's a very big population shift because, you know, while we have 300 million people here now, we did not have those kind of population numbers back then. Right. Population was significantly smaller in the U.S. And this was not counting like immigrants. So that's a big population shift of these northern cities, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus, getting floods of people moving there for, you know, better opportunity, industrial area. The, right. the industrial era was upon us. And so factory jobs. Mm -hmm. um, things like that, the needs of getting prepared for World War One, coming out of World War One. So it was a big population shift there. For sure. And I feel like I know a lot of people, like a lot of Black people that, oh, no, I have cousins or my granddad was from Virginia or I have, you know, like my family somewhere in the South. Like a lot of us have roots in the South still. Um, wasn't just this random thing like oh we're gonna just see what happens in the north you know like it was a concentrated effort of black people saying like yo we have to do something and then obviously you have people that will get on they will make do and they will stay that happens um but yeah you see this crazy number of black people just rushing to the north and oh the north gets spicy but that's a yes <laughs> <laughs> And, and the theme during this time, what we're talking about when it comes to discrimination is now it's more bank and community discrimination that was basically federally approved that goes on here, uh, which is a little different from the Southern sense of discrimination. And, you know, the things that were happening up North, discrimination was always happening. There were just less Black people that, you know, they talked about this thing's happening to. But a big demographic change in the United States that we must always be aware of, and I think a lot of people are not, unless you are a descendant of them, are the immigrants that moved here. And immigrants moving to the United States definitely significantly altered the culture and flow of the U.S. Uh, between 1900 and 1920, there were nearly 14 million immigrants that moved here. You know, mostly across Europe, uh, you know, some from Asia, some from, you know, really mostly just from Europe. Um, so you have Irish people moving here in floods, uh, Germans, Polish, um, you know, people from like yeah. Central and Eastern Europe, you know, French people, but moving here in ports, Italian people. And so you get this change in culture because for them, they're coming to America they believe in this American dream. And, you know, while I do believe this American dream is a real thing, but it's not meant for everybody. It wasn't meant for everybody when it was created. But those people, it was more meant for, or at least they took it for themselves. But, you know, that, that mindset that comes in when you come here willingly and you're white and the opportunity is meant for you, you can move a little differently. You can, and I think like we do this enough. I feel like m making uh, a point to say we are never trying to downplay the shit that anyone, any oppression, any prejudice that people have had to experience. Um, but the shit that immigrants dealt with and the shit that Black people dealt with were entirely two different forms of oppression. And today, I mean, we could look at where we're at today. Italians and Irish people have completely assimilated. They're just in the, the sea of white faces and have been able to profit and benefit off of the American dream, off of the way that America is kind of run. And Black people are, Black people in mass are still hold back by things specifically and only because they are Black. Yeah. And this next point really drives that home. So. During this time, immigrants were buying homes because around the world, everyone knows that owning where you live is an important part of stability and your ability to maneuver and have wealth and, and be able to take care of your family. If you're always renting and having to bounce from here to there, you just are not as on your feet. 
So immigrants come, came with that mindset of being able to do that. And there was some, actually some interesting stories of social service workers being worried about families starving out because the heads of household were trying to save up money for down payments on houses. That was really interesting. Um, during this time, foreign white people uh, were, had a, I'm sorry, they had a 41% homeowner's rate, 41%. And at the time, the homeowner rate for native white people was 21%. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something really interesting to think of when you're the native population and you have had dominion over, you know, the black people there, you've driven out the Native Americans. I imagine, you know, there's some level, this is my place and I'm comfortable. Then you get all these millions of people to move over. They're like, yo, I'm about to scrap all of that. From you. <laughs> um, I thought that was a really interesting stat. But you know, a lot of people, and for their own right, you know, Italians being Italian, Germans being German, and wanting to hold on to that cultural heritage, and, and as they should, white race, race is not being German, race is being white, right? And this is the American construct that I think immigrants, or descendants of immigrants especially, sometimes lose sight of. Oh, this yeah. McMichael's appraising Bible really drives that point home, because yes, you know, immigrants had a slew of problems that they had to deal with, and it's not my place to speak on the severity of those problems. But when it came to who got treated well, at the top of the chain of this McMichael's appraising Bible of who was going to uh, get money for a house, mortgages, whose land had value, this was an appraising Bible that kind of set the tone. Number one, at the top of this list were English, German people, Scottish, Irish, um, and Scandinavian people. And if you look at right now, even just kind of in world politics, those people hold a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the English were the creators of all the uh, colonization here in America. They were the owners of the plantations. So, like, a lot of this old white money that we have, that's English old white money. So, you know, a lot of these generations of families that were very long standing, these were English people. Um, and so, you know, that whole British Isles, well, they're at the top of the food chain here. Then this is how those people ranked and filed everybody. Second, you had Northern Italians. Then you had the Bohemians and the Czechs in third place, Polish people in fourth, Lithuanians five, the Greeks and Russians. Uh, number seven, it says Russians and low class Jews. So I guess they only value Jew- Jewish people if they had money. Um, then at the bottom of the chain, you had Southern Italian, Negroes, and Mexicans. Yes. So this is the really funny thing about that. A lot of the Italian people that I grew up with, so my my dad is biracial. My dad is English. His mother is an Italian-English woman, and her people came from Northern Italy. My mother's mom... Um, is black she was married to an italian man they were together before i was born they're american um a lot of the he was you know his people were his grandparents immigrated here from sicily and i don't know the early 1900s a lot of the people i grew up with they were from southern like their their grandparents the people that migrated here from southern italy and there is this thing like sicilians are the blacks of italy and you know sicilians are the ones that kind of really heavily make up the the high influx of immigrants in the 1900s so mm-hmm. So that's another reason why this shit is so annoying. The racism with them is so annoying. Like, you guys were just literally a step above us. And some of y'all in the summer, if it hits you right, you don't know what you are. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's interesting. I heard something, something about, like, that scale, but I never knew the name. So I have to look further into that. And when you think about our housing episode, we talk about redlining and those things. Like, this plays a role in that. Like, mm-hmm. the people at the top of that list, the English, the Scandinavians, Northern Italians, like, those were people that if their neighborhoods had mostly those people, those were green and blue properties. When you start having Russians, low-class Jews, any one Negro is enough to make it go yellow. 
um, <laughs> Mexicans, like you, you, that's when you get yellow and red, like they don't want that. And that plays a role in policy because if that's culture, you know, the law is built around that still. And, you know, as you, as we kind of progress through this great migration at the end of that, that's also where you start getting the um, FHA, you get the Hulk, and you, now you get the beginning of the federal administration of these things that follows this line of thinking, you know, banks are just not going to loan to Mexicans and Negroes uh, and immigrants from, you know, the Caribbean versus people from, you know, Northern Italy and Switzerland. Yeah, I think about uh, like my hometown and a lot of like, like the West Side is where a lot of Black people live. That's where I grew up. I went to the West Side <laughs> primary school, first through third grade. There's like railroad tracks down there. The house, just the land, you could tell in the housing is was definitely, they were placed there for a particular reason. You go up to the North Hill, the houses and the land um, looks very different. And you know, this shit's not on accident. It wasn't like black people moved there. I was like, oh, this is a cute space. Let's settle here. Like that's not, <laughs> mm -hmm. not how that happens. Yeah, so there was a, um, you know, during this time, as we kind of transitioned towards the 60s, you know, at that time, down payments for houses were like 30, 50%. So you had these, and you had short-term mortgages. So this is why people were very aggressive about saving money to do these things, because the loan market just wasn't what it is now. Mm -hmm. And so you had building and loan associations. And so you start getting these associations of people and guess who gets associated, right? And these things play into, you know, redlining. Um, and, and as we, you know, you can listen to that episode to learn more, but a lot of loans were created that were government backed. And, and that's the big issue with redlining with the FHA loan. These are government backed loans. And so now mm -hmm. this government backed discrimination in this, in this sense. <laughs> that leads to a lot of this and while you know the the value of the property and its age that stuff matters who lives there matters a whole lot because if it didn't we would not be talking about race so much in america if race did not matter so much people are like oh i'm sick of it it matters a lot because america cares so much yeah it's like and then you know what's funny it's like it's always a white person it's usually i shouldn't say always it's usually a white person saying well i don't know why we have to bring race into everything because race is in everything like you bring like you only want to like acknowledge it when you know you don't want to acknowledge it but you know that you're benefiting from it so then when people speak out about the disproportionate um you know, opportunity and equity that's available to all of us now you're pissed off and oh, now everything's about race if we didn't have to talk about race, do you know what I would be doing? I would be fucking sitting <laughs> down tables and building furniture. Like I wouldn't be have I wouldn't have a podcast on fucking race and this bullshit. <laughs> we didn't have to talk about it. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. We would not be doing this show. Like <laughs> so many other things we can do with our time. <laughs> Do you know how many side hobbies that I do that I would rather be doing? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you know, think about you listening right now, listener. You, um, I'm going to go out here and say, you know, please email us and tell us, you know, who you are. What, what made you listen to this show? We really want to know who's listening. I mean, I, I mean, I talk to people, so I, I know on my end who I think is listening based on who's talking to me. But most of the people who are listening to this show make up a demographic of they are black people that like this kind of content and that know this stuff. So some of them are listening to this. There are, you know, also black people who are not privy to this information. Like they just didn't know this stuff existed and it's of no, none of their fault. Like they don't talk about this. That's why we're running the show. So it's helping you better understand the world that you live in and how you can navigate. But on the other hand, there's a lot of white people who I talk to who listen to this show who want to learn more about where we are as a country and like how we got here you know they they you're probably somebody who is around a lot of black people or maybe you're curious about yo, know, it's 2020 and black people keep talking about all this and now white people are talking about it so like what's really going on here mm -hmm. and you probably don't want to watch creepy youtube videos about this stuff so you're listening to us uh, that's been a phrase i've been using to describe this podcast a lot um and so you want to learn about what were you not taught that actually created the privilege for you? Because that's really what we're talking about here in a sense. 
what did America do to give you privilege? And this is what a lot of these, pretty much every episode has been about. Yeah. And we also have our Indian listeners. Shout out to y'all. I, we cannot, we cannot sleep <laughs> on our Indian listeners who are learning about the underbelly of America's history. For sure. Um, okay. So yeah, jump right back into it. I don't actually, I kind of forget where you are. So in the 60s, as you, as anybody who really watches history knows, the whole world fucking changed, right? In the 60s. Um, the issues when it comes to this, you can listen to our redlining issue to get the details on that, but that starts to come to an end formally with the uh, new civil rights bill that gets passed, Fair Housing Act. And I want to give you a couple stats here. By 1972, the FHA made 11 million families homeowners, and yet they still restricted Blacks from being able to own homes in that time. Because so you think about all that redlining, all that went on, 11 million homeowners were created. Um, three quarters of all the Black people in America were concentrated to the few major cities by the 1960s. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you think about this housing discrimination, there's, a, there's another stat that I pulled up. In Northern California, it was a certain, certain part of Northern California, 300,000 homes were built. Are you ready for this? I don't think y'all are ready for this. I want you to write this number down, or at least keep it in your head. 300,000 homes were built. Less than 100 of those homes went to Black families. That's crazy. Um... So they were building, they were just straight up building. Were they building up a city, do you know? Were they just building up this, this area to be more inviting for people to live in? Do you um, know? I'll have to pull that stat up, but this was a, a general region of Northern California. Um, okay. We can find that note in one of these days, um, we're gonna actually give you our full bibliography and co collection of these things. But it was just in the Northern part of California in general, not like any particular city. Okay. But 300,000 homes and less than 100 went to Black families. Um, you know, that's an astounding stat, and that's done, you know, by intention. There's a lot of Black people, as you know right now, that live in California. Yeah. And they're kind so, of concentrated, though, in, like, a few places. Yeah. And, you know, a few places that were set to be let them be destroy themselves so that in 20 in 2010 we're going to just rebuy everything and build cool stuff exactly so in this time you know loan banks were getting more skin in the game of how to operate at this level and so now you have a lot of this predatory loan practices that are coming into play and we're going to spend the last part of the show talking about these predatory loan practices so Part of that is also alternative financing. For those of you who are even into real estate, um, who are new to it, uh, it's something that I am, I was, I was really into trying to get into. I had a couple of deals that did not work out and then I started my gym business and that all went to the wayside. And one thing I learned about was the sense of different types of ways to finance things, you know, and one way is owner financing, right? So where basically the owner holds the property, but you can move into there and you just keep paying them the mortgage. But if you default or fail, they can just take the house back and lose all your money, right? This was a thing that actually happened to where Black people were trying to buy these houses, but the banks were not letting, were not giving them any leeway and they had good income. And so you would go ahead and you would find a seller of a house and like, hey, you know, you just keep paying us on this house. But they had these crazy terms. So if you miss the payment or you miss two payments, depending on what the terms were, they could just take the house back and keep all your money. So you could have paid 50% of the house down, but you messed up something and they're going to take advantage of you. Whereas that doesn't really happen with the bank. Like they're going to give you some leeway if you mess up. So there was a particular incident. These universal, universal builders, there was a building um, company that built up a development. And there was a court case, uh, Clark versus Universal Builders, to... They 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 got they bought into this housing project um, that was being created, and this was between a ten year time span, right, nineteen fifty eight and nineteen sixty eight, and they were finding out that they were getting different pricing on the actual property. So they went to go buy the house, and 
they had a one price and then their white neighbors were paying drastically different prices. And they actually took it to court and, and won because the, the court was like, yo, why are these pricing differences so drastic? Like, it's not like, and we're not talking like, oh, $10,000, $20,000. We're talking like 40, 50, 60 plus thousand dollars difference in these properties. Like, very blatant. And this was, you know, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, I think in the housing episode, uh, I don't remember the woman's name. We talked about um, this woman. Uh, she lives in Florida. She is black and she has a white husband and they have um, children, I think like three kids. And um, she went to try to sell the their house and um, was given... <laughs> was given a number well below the market price. And then she took all the pictures down of her and like her kids went to another realtor. Mm. And do you remember that story? And was the giraffe, I don't, I don't want to say a hundred thousand, but it was something crazy that they were, they were lowballing her because, and that was that, I mean, I don't know if it's a duck, it's a duck. I mean, like, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> like, what else could it have been? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and speaking of, and that, that happened just, what, in the last couple of years, right? Yeah, it, no, it happened this year. Like, I oh, read this that. this was in 2020. Before. I thought it was like 2020. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you know, these things don't die. And so we want to bring you also to, as a reminder, network. So we talked about this in the first episode. And net worth was like plus 10x between, you know, wealthy whites and, and blacks, and even just an average, actually. Median net worth 2016, white families 171,000, black families $17,000. So you want to make sure that you are aware of that. And when we talk about, we're getting into this modern issue of what's happening in this, you know, 21st century. Um, you know, the, the pass down inheritance money of housing is a lot. Uh, this this year there was a projection for 765 billion dollars of inheritance, and a lot of that money is through just houses being passed down. So I want you to rem- remember that when you think about net worth, families being able to have mobility to do things, because taking loans out on your house pays for school, it pays for businesses, it pays for you know expansion of getting another property, like. The, the art of being able to take a loan out on your house is probably something that is understated in its importance and the ability to provide for people to have opportunities. And you can't take a loan out on something you don't have. <laughs> I never knew what that was. Like, I never knew what it meant when people were like, oh, I just took out a second mortgage. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what is that? Is, I know what it is now. We don't have to get into that. It's just... I didn't understand, at, you know, whenever I had these questions, I didn't understand how you could use your property, you know, as a sense to like, I'm good for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's vital. You guys should, listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, look up home equity lines of credit. So one thing I also don't understand, Savannah, is your city. So we're going to talk about Baltimore right now as a, as a shining light of this corruption. So what's have in the 21st century, especially part of the housing crisis that happened a little over 10 years ago, is reverse redlining. And no, folks, this is not the same as reverse racism, right? <laughs> reverse redlining now is where you are giving qualified families subprime rates to buy houses. And so what happens is, when you buy a house, you have a certain interest rate on your mortgage. And then based on some credit or whatever else is on that report, you might have points on there, which adds more percentage. Well, if you are you know, a home buyer, you might get, with your credit, you might get like a 2 to 3% uh, you know, interest rate on your loan. But if you have poor credit, it's going to be closer to 10, which changes what your mortgage payment is drastically and the lifetime payment for your house changes by tens of thousands of dollars with that, depending on how expensive your house was. So in Baltimore, 2008, the city of Baltimore files against Wells Fargo because Wells Fargo were giving out dozens and hundreds of what they called, are you ready? Ghetto loans. (laughs) 
So they were doing, they were giving out tons of predatory loans and it got to the point where it was hurting the tax base of the city of Baltimore to where they had to sue Wells Fargo because people were um, foreclosing on their homes. And so property taxes weren't getting paid. And it was, you know, they were like, yo, it's y'all fault for putting people in this position who they could have qualified for a mortgage that may have been only five or $600. You're making them pay $900 because of the interest and points and all that. Um, and that those are just arbitrary number, but you get my point. And so there was a, a line here, the likelihood of a foreclosure, that a foreclosure will occur with respect to a Wells Fargo loan in a predominantly African-American neighborhood is four times the likelihood that such a loan will go into foreclosure in a predominantly white neighborhood. And the average foreclosure rate was half of that foreclosure rate in African-American neighborhoods that had Wells Fargo mortgages between 05 and 07. I don't even know what to say. Um, well, yeah. I have something for you. <laughs> the, in 2005, 60, 65% of their highest costing loans went to black borrowers in 2005. And you're like, well, they don't make a lot of money. Some of them were people that probably should not have qualified to buy a house. That is part of it that they were like, yo, we just want to get this mortgage out, right? Because we're going to get bonuses. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But a lot of these people were families who made more than enough money and had good enough credit to qualify. And they were like, no, nah, they don't even know about the housing market or like that. They might be first generation money to do this. So their parents couldn't teach them about this. So we're going to say, you know, they didn't want to show us their income or they had this thing go on. So we're going to just pass them along to the subprime mortgage officer because you had regular mortgage officers and yet subprime mortgage officers and once you went to subprime you couldn't go back up yeah um i don't have a comment <laughs> so this gets worse I, know, that's why I'm like, <laughs> I it gets worse i know i'm like i just don't even have anything to say <laughs> Wells Fargo had a staff of people who went to black churches, or these were black people that they were paying, that went to black churches to get these people, uh, you know, elderly couples, you know, maybe new married couples, to get them into these Wells Fargo mortgages. People who were not even necessarily always looking to buy a house. They went into these churches convincing them to buy a house and use their mortgage so they could get the bonus and give them a subprime mortgage. And this happened everywhere throughout Baltimore. Being so, yeah. Now, what would make a person do that? You know, why would any well-meaning citizen employee want to get a qualified family who's doing their best to, you know, do what they can do to be a productive citizen in a country that's making it hard for them? Why would you want to go and give them a subprime mortgage? Well, there were bribes involved to the loan officers. They're higher up. You know, and, and I would love for you to read this, 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 uh, this article. Uh, it was, it's kind of a long one. It's, it's, a, it's a government article. But they would bribe these officers to go and hit these quotas of subprime mortgages, giving them all expense paid resort trips. They would send their kids to private school to do that. And of course, cash bonuses to yeah. get people to go and sell these quote unquote ghetto loans or take families who were very well to do middle and upper class families who maybe just didn't understand the mortgage game all like that and game them into subprime loans. And as a big part of our housing crash that happened. Yeah. Um people really just trying to make money and like quick money fast money and doing it in a really nasty way so we've talked about like i'm not an anti-capitalist but i think there are 
some ways that people go about getting money that are just really disgusting and this being a prime example like these people have the ability and they're trusting you to provide them with a service um you know this is something that you work in your real estate agent your loan officer whatever this is something you're supposed to be an expert in and these people go in trusting you thinking that you have their best interest at heart you're looking out for them in this process and the whole while you're doing the exact opposite and it's disgusting that is absolutely terrible in 2005 more than half of the mortgages taken out by african-american families were subprime mortgages compared to the industry average of 20. 40 percent of latinos taking out mortgages were subprime in 2005 and that came from the federal reserve so it's just you know disgusting you know, how that happened because again, home ownership is the foundation for wealth. If you're gonna get a business loan, you're gonna get uh, pay for your kids to go to college. Mm -hmm. If you are going to try and get a second house, you know, maybe your parents are getting older, you need to take out a loan to buy another house to pay for home healthcare service, something like that. You know, being able to have a home is, is, is a big part of that. And so if you're giving families and making it harder for them to even own their home because of the rates that you're giving them, you're effectively destroying and attacking their ability to build wealth. And so this was one particular city. This happened across the country in these metropolitan cities. It wasn't an isolated incident. Yeah, don't, uh, don't think Baltimore is kind of wild, but we're not alone in this bullshit. Like, there's plenty of other cities who are the same damn thing. <laughs> and even with the city fine, like suing them, and they won, and they paid out a settlement of next to nothing, here's another incident. We're going to just give you the number on this, not even get into the details. Bank of America uh, it had a branch called countrywide and they had a lawsuit that happened against them for giving higher rates for black people and people of color to over 200,000 people um, and people who had credit equal to white people the settlement was for 335 million dollars like oh my god that's so much money for the bank no it's not it's it's, it's fucking it's dropping the bucket first of all 335 million yeah. but they had to spread it out for 200,000 families you know how much money that those families got people who got mortgages that uh crashed their credit that you know might have ruined their life and they were mortgages that were given higher fees and rates these people who got they got kicked out of their house house foreclosed i really wanted you to understand that those yeah. checks worked out to be one thousand six hundred and seventy five dollars in settlement money Um, I think this, all of this information is why it is so important to do your own research, why it's so important to get multiple opinions on things, especially if you're not well versed in something. And you know, I'll never blame victims for being like a target for people to attack them and take advantage of them. But, you know, we are now in a space where we know that this shit is happening so in order for us to really put our foot down because i there's this huge movement of black people looking to own property looking to you know really build wealth and are educated and are are trying to maneuver being in this country and living the way that you know we want to live um it's so vital when you're looking for a home, if you're trying to buy property, to just really, really, really do your homework and make sure the loans that are being offered, anything that just it has to do with your money and your credit, it will never hurt to get a second opinion and to just spend a bit more time ensuring that what you're getting yourself into, whatever you're signing is going to actually benefit you. Definitely. You know, we can't, and, and, and I really want to drive that point home that you mentioned about you can't blame victims for, um, um, you can't blame victims for, you know, falling prey to things. We can only be experts at so many things. Like, Somebody comes to me to train their kid to get faster, and I have their kid doing exercises that are inappropriate for them and workloads and volumes that are inappropriate for them. 
like the parent should, you know, while they should, you know, do some due diligence, they're not going to know the difference between me driving their kid's legs into the ground and telling them to toughen up from that being good advice or not. Like, right. you know, they have their own thing that they're an expert in and they're, they're paying you and trusting you to do that. Because remember, if you get somebody loan office, like you're paying them, part of your loan goes to them. Like that's how they get paid. So yeah. you're technically paying them. And, yeah. you know, you're, you, while you should know things, you just are not expected to be an expert in that. And you should be able to trust the mm-hmm. institutions that are around you to have your best interest in mind. And as we've learned 15 episodes in, that's not the case. <laughs> it's not. I think, I think um, you know, as more of us really move into this ownership, move into just ways to build money, I think networking, I think is so vital for us. Like, knowing someone that that has worked with a realtor or worked with a bank um and and you know that person is trustworthy you know that person does their due diligence with just making sure what they're getting into is going to be beneficial being referred to shit i know we don't all have access to that um but I think we need to be a bit better about sharing information. Sometimes we can be a bit stingy, but that's not how we grow. Um, and Donald, thank you for doing all this research on loan shit. Honestly, I, I've i always been a kind of person, like a debit person. Like if I don't have it, I don't have it. Um, I took some loans out for school, not really understanding the gravity of them. I don't necessarily call that predatory but had I really understood the long-term effects I don't know if I would have taken them like I probably would have just given them back um and so because of that I think my just understanding of loans and like credit was always just a bit like shady like I never looked at it as a as a positive thing and outside of being preyed upon and used and abused um it is important for us to be able to have money to be able to put something up like as a house things like that and so this information is really important um as always a lot of bullshit (laughs) all through it i'm sure that that's me i don't think yeah that's like are they gonna pass okay i think they're passed I don't think they're coming down my street. I think they're going the parallel street, and that's why. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, they did. They did uh, go down. Okay, hold on. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sorry, guys. That that was my bad. I I've had to apologize a lot. I live on a busy street in Baltimore. There's a lot of sirens. <laughs> Savannah lives on an intersection that is the corner of dangerous and worrisome <laughs> yeah there's always a potential car accident um we hear people pressing on their brakes for dear life all the time <laughs> you never know if someone got hit it's it's crazy <laughs> as much as i hate speed bumps that is an intersection that really needs a big ass speed bump <laughs> for sure people are flying down the street it's crazy and the snow is picking up it's like big snow flurries outside oh yeah it's real i like literally just picked up my laptop and i'm looking like oh i don't know if i'm leaving the house today <laughs> i don't know hey, if i can get off my hill what should i do i'm like i don't have any bourbon so i'm not gonna make a hot toddy i do think i have some red wine over there i just kind of want to i have some candles like it's so early in the day but i just like want to be wrapped up in a blanket and like eat i really want oh a- my gosh i don't know <laughs> I got to cook later. I think I'm going to the, the oven on, get a little heat up. I'm like, oh, I don't have to leave the house. I'm supposed to have yeah. a running workout today with some of my clients. And I'm like, I'm about to text them. Like, yeah, I can't even leave my house. So we're not running today. I'm like, I don't have to leave the house. Yet. Um, huh. So before we close out, is there anything else you want to share? I don't, I don't think there's anything else I want to share. Um... Uh... I feel like we uh, talk about things that are really dark and heavy. Maybe we should think about some like fun way to close out. Maybe like good news or something. Oh, well, good, good news. Um, I'm gonna highlight this real quick without giving too many details. We talked about this last night. 
I was able to successfully defeat White Tear. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a crazy story happen in my business. Um, and I, some of the people that listen to this show might know what I'm talking about if I give too many details. And it's too fresh of a situation. Mm-hmm. But I was able to prevail and get my way about something that I was legally and rightfully entitled to. Whereas in a different light, I would have lost that just because of the type of person I was going against. And so that was a little victory in my book that my, I just really needed <laughs> to operate. Nice, nice little win. Um, I have two, but I the, the one I'll really share is just like Aldo going, I think I told you this, Aldo went out of oh, business, yeah. Earth going out of business in the gallery. So I got a few pair of shoes, some really nice shoes, three different styles for all different seasons at a crazy cheap price. Um, that was nice. And hey. yeah, our job, my job is giving their employees a cute little bonus that on our end of year check. Um, we'll always take the man's money. So shout out to you, but not really, but kind of, but not really. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so cool. Well, I hope you guys learned a lot. Um, We will be moving through this equity ship onto another subject next week. Uh, Make sure to like, subscribe, and share. You can find us, The Black Codes Podcast on Instagram, theblackcodespodcast at gmail.com, right? The Black Codes 2 on Twitter (laughs) as of now. All right, all right, good people. So uh, with that, make sure you uh, tell, tell a friend, email us, um, you know, what you think, what, we, what you want us to talk about, and we're going to catch you next time on The Black Code. Bye.